family to uh, go around the table, around the, the family room, and give thanks this Thanksgiving season. Take your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. What do you think of large crowds? When you get together in large crowds, does anybody get anxiety or get nervous around large groups of people? I can remember a few years ago we were at Walt Disney World and uh, our family was on vacation and we were in a large crowd and we had our twins were, were very young. They were in a stroller and we were pushing them through the crowd. As we were going, the crowd was like pushing in on us. And I started to get really anxious, really nervous, because I'm like, man, these people, I mean, we're going to get trampled. It's going to become a, a stampede or something. We quickly got out of that area and kind of got away from some of the, the craziness. Sometimes large crowds gather, and, and they gather for, for various reasons, sometimes for big events. A record crowd of 170,513 people uh, watched Derby in 2015. And uh, what a huge crowd. Over 115,000 gathered to watch Michigan play Notre Dame in 2013. And uh, 3.5 million attended the largest ever rock concert back in 1994. And then I was reading uh, about some other large, like, religious gatherings. There's the largest religious crowd on record was over 30 million hits gathered to bathe in a river in hopes of having their sins washed away. And, I was thinking about that. I, that just sounds nasty. I mean, I, I'd want to be on that first group in the river because after about 5 million people, and I'm sorry, it's just going to be nasty. If you're on the end of that 30 million, uh, they may not even find you anymore. But uh, anyway, large crowds can be, uh, they can be overwhelming at times. And, you know, the definition of a crowd explains why some of us shy away from them. A large number of people gathered together, typically in a disorganized or unruly way. Uh, some other words that are used along those lines are throngs, hordes, mass, multitude, packs, mobs. And, uh, you know, Jesus drew a lot of crowds. In fact, whenever he spoke, people would to crowd around and gather and uh, uh, take in what he was having to say. And, uh, in fact, in the Gospel of Mark uh, alone, the word crowd appears 34 different times. And so every time he was speaking, it was like, Crowds would begin to gather, and as he would sometimes get in a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee, and they would run along the seashore and try to get to where he was going next and, and meet him there. And he drew crowds, and, and as we look at our text this morning, we're going to see he uses the word three different times as he's describing what's happening as he's speaking and ministering. So I invite you to join us in Mark chapter 3, beginning verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee, in Judea and Jerusalem and in Dubia and from beyond the Jordan from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. You can imagine as Christ would go and travel, as he would speak, everyone wanted to get in on the action. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to receive uh, some kind of pardon, uh, of, and, and they wanted to, to be close to Christ. And last week, we talked about how Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath, and, and uh, Pastor Jackson did a fantastic job of, of bringing the Word of God and, and teaching us the importance of rest in our daily lives. After experiencing intense opposition in the synagogue, Jesus withdraws with his disciples, and it's something he did 11 times throughout the Gospel of Mark. And here in, in Mark chapter 6, 
It was a good example since they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. In this instance, as well as in our text today, the crowds begin to press on Jesus, keeping his disciples from having that one-on-one intimate fellowship with Christ. And he said, we've got to get out of here. The crowds are, are getting too, too big. And twice we see the crowd described as great, which means a, a multitude had gathered. People traveled great distances to be with Christ. Some lived nearby in Galilee. Others traveled from Jer Jerusalem, Judea, says Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Indumea uh, was beyond the Jordan area. And it's interesting, uh, as all these people would gather uh, they would often follow him from town to town. And so it was like he had his own, uh, 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 what do you call those groups? Uh, groupies that they gather for concerts. And stuff. There are people that would just go from village to village as Jesus would travel and minister. He would have all these people that would follow him. And it was interesting. His boat was often a pulpit. And, uh, and he would be there on the seashore and he would teach. And, and then they would launch off from the, from the seashore. In verses 10 through 12, we see... A couple of main things that as he was ministering to the crowds, he healed people of diseases. In verse 10, it says he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Sick people were always gathering around Jesus and uh, smothering him, so to speak. The phrase pressed around means to throw oneself upon. In other words, the crowds could not get enough. They kept getting closer. There was a concert recently, I believe in Houston, Texas, and and a number of people got trampled even to death uh, because the crowd had gotten too much and they were pressing towards the, the stage. And I can imagine what Christ must have been feeling. He freed many of the demons in verses 11 and 12. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly charged them not to make him known. The diseased people pressed around Jesus. And, uh, and, and it, it, it's, it's interesting, it says, it's often repeated that the, those who were demonized, they fell down before him. It's, it's a repeated action, which means that they kept on falling down, and it shows the power of Christ. And folks, I'm thankful that this morning, no, there's nothing that we face in this life that Jesus doesn't have power over. In fact, no matter what you're facing on, on this very morning in November uh, of 2022, God is very much in control. He's very much on his throne, and you can trust him. And he, he has power over the demons of this world that seek to destroy us. It shows the power of Christ. When they confessed who he was, the word of God says he silenced them. And he, he, he did that for a couple different reasons. It was a common belief that the knowledge of one's precise name conferred mastery over that person. And by stating his title, the demons tried to show that they were superior but it didn't work out so well because the second reason that Christ quieted them was he didn't want or need uh, testimony from them. He did not want to be associated with these unclean spirits. And so Christ was moving on. In Mark chapter 8, it says, verse 34, calling the crowd to him and with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and do what, church? Follow me. See, what Christ is looking for is not just fans that are going to come to a, a gathering and, and, and hoop and holler and praise and do all this stuff and go back out into the world and live the same old life. No, he's looking for transformed followers, disciples of Jesus, whose lives are constantly growing 
in a deeper relationship with Christ. In a world of social media, it's easier, easy to find quote-unquote friends or be a fan or, or a Facebook friend. You ever uh, see people that you're friends with on Facebook in public and they don't speak to you? Isn't that a little awkward and weird? Like, man, they're, they're always saying stuff and commenting and liking and all this stuff. And then I ran into them in the grocery store and like, it's like they don't even know who I am. And it's an awkward feeling, but sometimes it's one thing to be a fan of somebody or to follow someone on social media, on Twitter or Instagram, but what we see in this passage is much deeper connection than what our social media allows for today. That The main idea, Jesus doesn't want you to be a fickle fan. He wants you to be a devoted, faithful follower of Christ. He wants you to take up your cross and follow him and allow him to radically transform us from the inside out. It's easy to count a crowd on Sunday mornings, and it's easy to count the seating capacity of churches today, but what is our sending capacity? What is our ability to send people out from these walls to transform our city, our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Sometimes, people, it's easy to gather if there's all the, the noise and the music and the lights and all of those things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, folks, if we're attracted as a fan and we're not truly following Jesus, we have missed the entire point of the gospel. We've missed the entire point of having a relationship with God. And maybe that's why some people say, I just don't feel saved today. I just don't feel. It's not based on a feeling. It's a decision every morning to get up and choose to follow Jesus. It's a choosing to allow him to transform our lives. I like to ponder words of Kyle Eidelman, who wrote a book, Not a Fan. He says, it might seem that there are many followers of Jesus, but if they were honestly to define the relationship that they have with him, I'm not sure it would be accurate to describe them as followers. Seems to me there's more a more suitable word to describe them they're not followers of Jesus. They're fans of Jesus. My concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. Every week, all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus, but they have no interest in truly following him. One of the biggest threats to the church today are fans that call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Jesus. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all of the benefits, but not close enough that it requires anything from them. One of the reasons our churches can become fan factories is that we've separated the message of believe from the message follow. Jesus says, if you'll follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He will begin to transform our lives from the inside out. So the rest of our passage this morning, we're going to see the process that Jesus is using to transform Matthew, he's trying to transform the, the Peter and the James and the John and the Andrew. And he's seeking to change Judas Iscariot. And, and we all know how that turned out. But folks, the reality is, is it's a process that's daily conforming to the image of God's Son. Verse 7, as Jesus withdrew with his disciples to see the crowds, they came and began to clamor for him. And verse 13, we see he went up on a mountain, called to him called to him with those who desired that they came to be with him. They wanted to follow him every place that he went. And folks, it, he gets away in Luke chapter 6. It says, Jesus spent the whole night in prayer before he called 
uh, on those that he desired to be disciples or apostles. Before he invited them to be his followers, he spent an entire night uh, on his knees in prayer. It just shows and underscores the importance of prayer in following Christ. Because, folks, there's going to be trials there are going to be tests along the way. There are going to be struggles in this life. And folks, we've got to be on our knees in prayer asking God, God, give me strength. Give me help. Give me that, uh, that ability to stand when no one else is standing for your name and proclaiming your word. Mark's giving us a view of Christ's ministry model. And he wants us to, to move us from being just a fickle fan to a faithful follower of Jesus. So let's pick up in verse 14. It says, let's be in the presence of of Jesus. What does it look like to be in his presence and rest faithfully in his presence? He says in verse 14 of our text, Christ is saying, he appointed 12 whom he also called apostles so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach. Jesus had a purpose for his followers. He knew that his time on earth was going to be short. He knew that the time that he would have to minister here and travel and perform miracles and teach and preach and heal the sick and the lame and turn water into wine. All those things was a, a brief, uh, just a brief uh, moment of time, a, a vapor, so to speak, as James calls it. So he knew that he had to train, he had to invest in younger people, people who were going to be here long after he was gone, and he was going to invest in their lives in discipling them to follow Jesus. So he was teaching them to be in his presence he called apostles so they might be with him and might send them out to preach. He desires his followers to hang out with them, build community, build relationships. In a world this morning of do, Jesus wants us first to be. Take that in for just a second. In a world of do, because we want to have like, well, pastor, if you just tell me what I'm supposed to do, I can, I can be a follower of Jesus. Okay, I need to read uh, so many chapters in my, in my Bible a week. I need to go to church on Sunday. I need to put a tithe in the offering plate. I need to do all of these things, and those are good things. But, folks, he's saying in a world of doing, Jesus wants us to be a follower of Jesus. He wants us to invest our lives getting to know him and spending time in his presence. And the essence of Jesus' training program was not some manual where you would check off all of the boxes at the end of the, of the chapters. No, there's no huge manuals, no huge rules or regulations. He was about living in relationship with others. So he would ponder something that would, was both simple and starting, startling this morning. He says, you are as close to Christ as you want to be. Think about it. This morning, you are as close today... Sunday, excuse me, Sunday before Thanksgiving, you are as close to Jesus as you want to be. What do you mean, Pastor? If it's a priority, you're going to make it happen. You know why the, there are churches, I was talking to a lady just yesterday at my son's wrestling match, wrestling tournament, and she said, how are things at your church since the pandemic? I said, well, people are returning. She's, I said, you know, every week more and more people are coming. Lots of new people are coming into the church. And, and she said, that's good. I said, but I don't think we're going to ever be back where we were uh, a year and a half ago, 18 months ago. She said, I sit in my church every Sunday, and it's like 50% of what it was a year and a half ago. And she said, it's so discouraging. She said, I'm like, 
what is up with people? Why aren't they returning to church? She said, I feel bad for the pastor and the staff that are constantly trying to engage people and get more people plugged in. And she said, it's so discouraging and disheartening because she said, why aren't people coming back to church? And, and folks, the reality is this morning is we do what's important to us. If we want to be in the house of God, nothing is going to stop us from being in our place of worship. Uh, there was a, a term when I was growing up as a kid, come hell or high water. I mean, we're going to be in church. I mean, I mean, every single Sunday. And folks, there's been a lot of hell and high water in the last year and a half. And some people have found it as an excuse to you know, resurface outside the church. The reality is, is this is a place where we gather corporately to worship, to be encouraged and challenged, and folks, and to prepare to go out as ambassadors, as apostles, as disciples, as followers of Jesus. Not fans, but followers of Jesus. Jason Crosby said this, he says, God will take you as deep with him as you want to go. Think about that. God will take you just as deep as you want to go. So you're as close to Christ this morning as you want to be. I've had people say, well, Pastor, I even had a man years ago who came to our church. He said, Pastor, he said, I'm just going to say this. He said, my last church, I just didn't get fed. He said, I mean, I could sit there every Sunday and Pastor would, I just didn't get a whole lot out of his messages. And I was like, that's all right. I'm starting a, I'm starting a life group. And I'd love for you to be in my life group, and I will invest my life in you and, and work on teaching you and, and training you the Word of God. And he came the first few Sundays, and that was awesome. He was learning verses. In fact, he was really wanting to knock it out of the park with reading all these chapters of the Bible. But folks, what happened is, oh, along the way, he became just a fan. And it really became one of those moments where I'm like, he's not here this Sunday, and last Sunday or the Sunday before that, and I'm, I'm seeing all these pictures of all the other things that they're doing, but they're not spending that time and making a priority of the things of God. And I got to thinking about his, his comments. He said, well, my last pastor, I just did learn a lot, and I wasn't getting fed. And I thought to myself, you know what? That has as much to do with you and your heart and your relationship, and way more than it does with the pastor who is faithfully preaching the Word. I, don't even, I know his pastor, but don't know that much about him. But folks, I know he preaches the Word. The reality is this morning is we are just as close as you want to be. God will take you deeper if you want to know him personally and have the intimate relationship. Proverbs 13 verse 4 says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So if you want to know God this morning, dig into his word, ask him to speak through his word, show you how you can look, grow in relationship. Can I encourage you this morning to go deep with Jesus Christ? Don't wait till January 1st. Say, well, my New Year's resolution, I'm already thinking about them. Well, why not start that in November? I mean, why do we have to wait till January? You say, well, you know, it's just a tradition. It's also a tradition that lasts about a week for you. And then you're back to the same old pattern. Maybe we just start to schedule and maybe you set a timer or an alarm clock and you get up a little bit earlier and spend some quality or get to work a little bit earlier before you go into the office, sit in your car, listen to the Word of God on, on your iPhone your iPhone or whatever, listen to a podcast, listen to, you know, and listen to the word of God being taught and preached and, and worship God, spending time getting to know him. When you spend time in the presence of Jesus, people will notice. 
Acts chapter 4 says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with whom? Church, Jesus Christ. They had spent time feasting on a relationship with Jesus. And would to God that the world around us would not be impressed with us, but they were like, man, that person knows Jesus. They have an intimate relationship with Jesus. But he also tells us where to go and proclaim Jesus. Verse 14, he says, the last part uh, of verse 14, he says, he might send them out to do what? To preach. Well, say, Pastor David, isn't that your job? That's one of them. Pray, shepherd the flock. But it's the job of every single follower of Jesus to preach the gospel. And folks, you have relationships, you have connections that I will never have. In fact, oftentimes when people find out I'm the pastor, they don't want to have anything to do with me. (laughs) And my wife says, you intimidate people because you'll say, hey, can we have lunch together? And they're immediately thinking, oh, I'm in trouble. I mean, he's going to know every single detail of my life. Like, no, I just like to build relationships because ultimately that's where discipleship takes place. That's where life change takes place. You get to know someone and and have a personal relationship. So an, an apostle is... A sent one. Part of our reach as a church and, and some of our core values in reaching people is to be able to send people out as, as followers of Jesus to preach the word of God. Melissa Smith this morning is in Nicaragua. She's getting ready uh, for, uh, she'll celebrate Thanksgiving uh, in Nicaragua with American friends there. Uh, and uh, it's been, we've been down there before and some of our missionaries say, hey, could you bring some stuff, spices and things we can't, they get down to Nicaragua. They'll have like a Thanksgiving feast. Uh, obviously, it's not a holiday in Nicaragua, but some of the Nicaraguan people are even starting to, to do that because they've been around so many Americans. But she's ultimately, she'll be home for Christmas for a few days at Christmas time. And But folks, she's gone as an ambassador, as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus to preach the gospel in Nicaragua. She's ministering to young people and adults down there and making an impact and representing our local church and our our outreach to reach the world with the gospel. Just a few weeks ago in our Faith Promise Mission Sunday, we had an opportunity to make commitments and give to missions above our regular tithes and offerings. And all of that money goes to help support missionaries like Melissa, like David and Sarah Carroll, who are planning a, another church in uh, to Panatinga, Brazil, and, and I saw the plans that are coming together and the, the building that they're building down there and look forward to taking a, another team there. It's going to support missionaries in India who are planting churches and communities, folks, to where I remember just a few years ago it was illegal to preach the gospel in those cities, and now we've helped plant churches in those very cities. What a privilege and opportunity we have to reach. So he's, he's giving us that opportunity to, to make much of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel and missions allows us the opportunity. According to a book by David Kinnaman called Good Faith, he says, being a Christian when society thinks you're irrelevant and extreme. He said 60% of Americans believe that if you try to convert anyone, you are an extremist. 60% of Americans 
believe if you're trying to convert someone, you're an extremist. Folks, that's a challenge for the people of God because that's exactly what Christ has called us to do, to make disciples. Who make disciples of Jesus? He's wanting us to make converts of Jesus Christ. And so uh, it's a challenge. Are you willing to accept it? Are you willing to be labeled an extremist for simply sharing Jesus with others? Micah Fries says this. He says, research has found that 20, only 25% of churchgoers have shared their faith once or twice over the last six months. The evangelical church could claim to be an evangelistic people, a church on mission, but the behavior, the behavior betrays their belief. The facts are in it. It's clear the church has a behavior problem. It's fueled by a belief problem. See, what happens is we say all these things when we believe, but when the rubber meets the road and you get down to it and you see, have you actually shared your faith with a coworker, or a neighbor, or a friend, or a family member in the last six months? 25% of the church is doing that. So it's not translating into action. It's not translating into something that's transforming and changing lives. Begin praying. Praying that God would use this and then start sharing the good news. Theo Moody said this when someone complained about the way he shared his faith. He says, I like the way I do evangelism better than the way you don't do evangelism. I mean, some people are like, well, pastor, that's old school. Well, if it works, it's today's school, all right? You know, some say, well, that's, that's old school. I mean, even having a, an invitational song at the end of the service, there are churches that, oh, I would never do that. That makes people feel uncomfortable. Well, if you feel uncomfortable at the end of a message, four and one, that's okay. That's when God is trying to change your life and your heart. I want you not to leave uh, being the exact same as when you came in this place. I want you to leave having been changed and transformed. And if, if God's working and you need to pray, you need to make a decision, you need to pray with the pastor, you need that opportunity to have Christ work in your life. And so Dio Medi says this, that I like the way I do evangelism better than the way you don't do evangelism. And, uh, what a wake-up call. Start small. Start building relations with your neighbors, with your friends. Spend time taking walks. Uh, take your children on a date. Uh, my daughter asked me, said, Dad, can we just go, just me and you, you know? And, and she wants that one-on-one -on -one time. She needs to know that her dad, you know, for her, is the most important man on this earth in her life. And she sees, has a relationship, and she knows he loves her, and I'm encouraging her. Moms, your boys need to know that you love them, and you're pouring into their lives, and, and vice versa. They need to see that relationship Model it with your own spouse, with your wife or your husband. But build those relationships. Be in the presence of Christ. Go and proclaim Christ. But thirdly, use the power of Jesus. When proclaiming the gospel, it's critical to, to, that you not do so in your own strength and abilities. Verse 15 says, and have authority to cast out demons. The word authority carries the idea of having delegated authority or permission to use power. Sometimes, I'm guilty of this myself, I think sometimes we get the idea that, well, you know what, what God did in Acts doesn't happen necessarily today. And we relegate the uh, power of God to, well, that was another time. 
and God's not still. Are you serious? He's still radically transforming lives, and he needs to make a donkey speak. If he needs to make the sun stand still, the same God who parted the Red Sea is still on his throne today. And folks, no matter what you're facing, he can handle it, and he has the power. That's one thing. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses. You will be the preachers of the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Acts 4.33, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You see, sometimes I'm afraid we underestimate the power of God, and we're thinking, well, you know what? I don't have the ability, Pastor. I'm not a good speaker. Well, Moses tried that one. It didn't work out that well for him. I mean, there's a lot of people who say, well, I just don't have, I don't have the abilities that you have or the Pastor Matt or, or Pastor Jackson has. I, I don't have those. And no, you don't because you have unique gifts that God has gifted you in. And a, a pastor noted this some time ago. He said, Jacob in Scripture was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair and committed murder. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Rahab was a harlot. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. What about that, Baptist people? I mean, she was a gossip. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Uh, move over, people. Moses stuttered. Abraham was old. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> so when you start thinking about the in, uh, Pastor, I don't have all these abilities. I don't have all these things. Off. He's not looking at what you have to offer him. He's looking at a heart that wants to follow him. So God doesn't call the qualified. He quali 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 qualifies. He qualifies the called. That's a mouthful right there. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He's preparing us for what he wants to accomplish in a life. So in the last verses here of our text, he says in verse 16, he says, for three or four verses, he appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. The list of the twelve that Jesus chose is not haphazard without meaning. There, here are some observations that have been made. Peter is always first on the four different lists in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospels. He's the first of the four apostles. His name means rock, is thought of as the leader. And even though he failed, bailed on Jesus, and denied even knowing him, uh, he's always listed first. James and John, the next two, Peter make up that inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and they're given the name Boanerges, or Sons of Thunder. It was either a compliment because they had booming voices, or some uh, commentators believe it, it was actually referring to the fact that they later wanted to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans in Luke chapter 9. So however you want to describe them, I mean, they were given the sons of thunder, and it might have been a compliment, it might have been a backhanded compliment, but either way, that, that was what they were known for. We don't know a lot of, we know about the first three, a few, a little bit more about the next three, but 
the other six are just ordinary guys who were insignificant. They were uh, imperfect. They were a group of misfits. And it's fair to say that none of them were voted most likely to succeed in their high school superlatives. There were no rabbis, professional theologians, refined guys from Jerusalem on the list. They were all young 20-somethings. It was a good reminder for those of us who were a little bit older. I was talking to Matt in my office this week, and he looks over and sees a picture of me over on the side, and it was from a few years ago. And he says, hey, you're... Your uh, goatee and, and beard is a lot lighter than it used to be. How did it turn blonde? And I was like, dude, that is, I'm going to kick you out of my office. That's not blonde. It's gray. But, you know, thanks for pointing out the obvious. <laughs> I love him. I, I'm picking at him. But, you know, the, he, they were the first century millennials. The disciples were the, the millennials of that day. And, uh, and, and they were the ones that were making a difference. And I, I'm glad as a church we're reaching out to that next generation. I'm glad that God sent us Jackson Flieger, who grew up in our church and is a 23-year-old, is able to impart the new knowledge and truth of God's Word to our young people today and prepare them as they go out as preachers and teachers of the gospel. I'm glad that he brought Matt Williams, our, our worship pastor, at 29 years old and turned 30 right after getting hired. And you know what, I love that because at 30 years old, he's young enough to connect with the next generation and mature enough to, to act like a fool on stage. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he's not going to get up here and, and make a mockery of the things of God. He's got a head on his shoulders and a heart for leading others in worship. There was a, there's a natural tension, though, on the team with the, with the disciples because there were people on there that were opposite ends of the spectrum, and yet God would use them. There were four foul-smelling fishermen. I mean, can you imagine what they smelled like when they got together in the upper room? I mean, it must have been quite the smell. Uh, yesterday at the, uh, uh, the wrestling tournament, I mean, some of those young men and young women that walked past me, I mean, it was like, it was rank up in there. I mean, it was stank. I was like, we need to stop, have a shower. I mean, you ever go to some of these? Uh, it's crazy. It, it was completely the same. But so the reality is, is Matthew was a tax collector. He worked for Rome. Simon the Zealot hated Rome. Yet somehow they would get along and be used on the same team to make a difference. And folks, all of us, we don't choose our birth family. We don't choose our, our church family. God places us where he wants us to be. And folks, we have to learn to get along and ultimately glorify God and make disciples of him. There's a natural tension. That's a good thing. Imagine the resumes. Those of you that work in HR, that hire for your company, you know, you're always looking for that next good resume, next person to pop up on your screen. I, I, mean, I get people saying all the time, Pastor, we know anybody looking for a job. I've got all these openings. I'm trying to fill. And, 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 and so you're looking. And I mean, trust me, we've looked and looked and looked for things. But imagine what it'd been like to be on that search team and you're trying to find the perfect worship leader or youth pastor in that day. And, most of, uh, you can imagine the, the, the letter who's written on these 12 disciples. Dear sir, most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you're undertaking. They do not have the team concept 
we would recommend you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable. He's given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place interest above company loyalty. Thomas de demonstrates a questionable attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel he, it is our duty to tell you that Matthew's been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness. He's a keen businessman, has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. If Jesus can use a team like the 12 apostles, imagine what he can do with you and I if we are willing to follow. Imagine what he could do if we would just take up our cross and follow him. Jesus doesn't want you to be a fickle fan. He wants you to be a faithful follower. Say, Pastor, what's the application? Fans will never accomplish this. Only followers will. Get this, church. Fans will never accomplish the mission of the church. Are you a fan or a follower? Because, folks, there are lots of people that come along for the, the show. They come for the bigger, the better, the, 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 the pomp and circumstance. But when the rubber meets the road, they're not willing to follow Jesus Christ. Men and women are his method. His plan is people like you and like me. So when Jesus considers a crowd like this, He's calling individuals to move from being fickle fans who when times get tough, they're gone. They, they, they disappear. He's calling us to be faithful followers. And I wonder, church, are you ready to follow? Are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you living in the presence of Christ? Are you investing in your personal relationship? Because, folks... We are clo as close now as we want to be. We make time for our priorities. It's time to start having those gospel conversations. Look at your look at the the the, uh, the the calendar. It is the 21st of November. We are one month away from Christmas. Who are you investing in? What conversations are you having right now that will enable you to invite someone? to Easter, to Easter, <laughs> Christmas at Calvary. What, what is it that you're doing now to work on those relationships so that when you invite that coworker that you've been praying, and some of you wrote their name down on a, a white ball and put it out there in the display 11 months ago, folks. Why have you not invited them to church? Why have you not shared your testimony with them? Why have you not begun building that relationship Folks, we have a month left in the year. Why not take opportunity, begin this morning, write that name back down again, write it in the cover of your Bible, write it on wherever it is, and make a commitment this morning. Say, with God's help, I'm going to start that conversation this week. I'm again praying with them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to invite them to church. I'm going to, I'll take them out to Sunday lunch on the 19th if they'll come to church with me that morning. I want to invite them to hear the truth of the gospel. We have cards that are available out, uh, out front when you leave the building this morning. 
since Christmas at Calvary. And the, the 19th, that morning, it's going to be a, an incredible uh, fellowship of celebration of Christmas Sunday, of, of what God is doing. That's a Sunday that all of our, our kids will be invited to come on stage and of a, a children's message. And uh, they will have kids sitting that morning. It's just going to be a great time of worship and celebration. But then on Sunday evening that week, we're going to have a service that night at uh, 6 p.m. And instead of doing it on Christmas Eve, we're going to do it on the 19th. So everybody pay attention. It's all on the card. It's going to be intimate. It's going to be family-friendly, family-oriented. Uh, lots of Christmas carols, hot cocoa, cookies, uh, all of the um, picture, uh, photo booths and things of that nature. But it's going to be a great time. Some, a lot of people travel as it comes closer to Christmas. They're not able to be out on the 24th, but they'll come out that Sunday evening and you have an opportunity to take these to your coworkers, take them to your neighbors, take them to your friends, live nativities on stage. It's going to be lots of things for the kids to do and be involved and hands-on. But folks, it's an opportunity to get people under the sound of the gospel. And as people are coming, we're not looking for fans, we're looking for followers of Jesus. Write down the names of those that you're going to invite. Right, when you leave the service this morning, write their name on one of those blue balls, and it means this week I'm committing to have gospel conversations. These are the people I'm inviting to Christmas at Calvary, and, and I'm going to invite them this week. I'm going to begin that process of making relationships. Folks, the reality is, is those opportunities are there, and statistics show that people will come at Christmas and Easter if they're invited by someone who cares about them, who has a relationship with them. So it's their opportunity. I'm looking forward to seeing how God is going to build his church. I'm looking forward over the next month to seeing orange balls go in there as people start accepting Christ at Christmas. And people begin to uh, begin that following relationship and, and discipleship relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's fill that entire thing up with people who Jesus Christ is radically transforming their lives. Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning?